0: Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is Roberto Abramowitz. He was an absolute blast to talk to. Roberto is the play-by-play Spanish announcer for the NFL on CBS. He is the NYCSC Spanish announcer on radio. He spent 25 years at ESPN he's he's a sports broadcaster for HBO he has just done so so much in the sports broadcasting the color commentating the play-by-play field so I'm very very grateful I got to have him on we get to talk about a lot of different things within that space what it's like how he did it and what he loved and didn't love about it which I think is always important so it was an absolute blast so I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Roberto. very glad you did. Today we have Roberto Abramowitz. He is a play-by-play Spanish announcer for the NFL on CBS, the uh, radio announcer for NYCFC. He works with HBO um, on a couple different opportunities. He worked at ESPN for over 25 years, was the former editor-in-chief at Football Mundial. Did I say that right? Mundial. Mundial. Yeah, I was close. The largest Spanish men's magazine in the United States. Roberto, thanks for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it uh it's my pleasure thank you so much for the invitation i appreciate it really please you're the guy with the really cool opportunities and all the, the <laughs> cool i mean you're the i've always uh, for the last couple of years i've been doing these podcasts and i tell everybody that i have on if i could do this for the rest of my life i'd be the happiest person on planet earth and you were able to figure out how to talk into a microphone so i get to ask you all the questions now and hopefully i get to learn something along the way and everyone else listening Hopefully, they enjoy the conversation.
1: Well, can I tell you one thing because it's really important as far as that's concerned? Is that I really consider myself so so fortunate to be able to have earned my living or to continue to earn my living doing something that I'm really really love, that I'm super passionate about, and that I don't have to wear a suit. So I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's really good. Uh, yeah. I just hope to be able to continue this uh, once this craziness of the coronavirus uh, virus crisis. Uh, Hopefully dissipates and disappears.
0: Hopefully, one of these days it figures itself out. We're starting to get new information that it sounds like some stuff may be coming back sooner than we expected. So I will tentatively and cautiously hope, uh, but we'll see exactly what happens and how it happens. And hey, man, I have a guy that makes suits. Uh, he actually, I did an episode with him. He's made some suits for the, uh, a couple of Mets players, a couple of guys in the NHL. If you need someone for a nice suit, man, I can help you out there. That's easy.
1: I actually have them. I just hate wearing them. It feels I, very, very restrictive. I, you know, I understand I'm understand. i fine. I just prefer to be comfortable.
0: I respect that. I respect that. Just busting a little chops. We have to have some fun here. Right. So, Roberto, for the fir- the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is why do you love sports so much?
1: Well, I, I grew up with sports uh, ever since I was a kid in Mexico. I went to Mexico. Uh, my family took me there when I was about uh, three to four years old and spent uh, the next 10 years living there. Um it was something that I loved. Uh, played soccer in the street every day, fell in love with a team in Mexico called Necaxa. Uh, I love their uniforms, they had red and white stripes and I thought that, that was the coolest thing that I had seen. And uh, then from there, uh, a love for the NFL because they broadcast the NFL every Sunday into, uh, into Mexico. And, um, and then when I got to the States, I fell in love first with hockey and then with basketball and to go along with it. Uh, I enjoyed baseball up until 1994. And then they had the strike and then I, ba- I abandoned it never to come back. Um, except for the past three years, and we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. it's I started doing some baseball broadcasts for ESPN for college baseball and uh, women's softball and little league baseball, and I actually really, really enjoyed that. But uh, as a fan of major league baseball, that that killed me. When they killed that season, it it destroyed me. But otherwise, I mean, everything that was sports, um, I really, really enjoyed, and uh, I wanted to make a living on it. That was something that I was, I, as a kid, you know, not being good enough to be a player and understanding that early enough in my life and you know, all right, I'm not good. So, uh, it was, it became something that, well, what's the next best thing. And, you know, commentating on games was the best thing for me. So I was very happy with it.
0: That is fantastic. And, uh, actually I have a similar story with hockey. Personally, when they had their strike a few years ago, that I was young enough that I, I kind of was like emotionally Hurt by it. Um, now, being a little bit older, I kind of understand what's going on and why it's going on. And if you agree, you disagree, whatever it is. Um, so I had something similar like that with hockey. I used to be a huge New Jersey Devils fan.
1: No, okay. Well, I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> about being a Jersey Devils fan, being a Rangers <laughs> fan here. My uh, girlfriend's a Rangers fan, so I watch more go. Rangers
0: game than anything.
1: Good, good. She's got very, very good taste, then. I have to say, the the difference between the hockey strike and and the baseball strike is there is a big difference. And one is that the NHL canceled an entire season. I mean, and it was right after the Rangers, actually they did it twice. And it was right after the Rangers won, they canceled that season, which was, which wound up, I think really, really hurting them. Because I think that they had lifted their profile to a point of where it never had been. And then they killed the season and then they lost all of that. And then they had the the other strike several years ago, which that didn't help much either or lockout, whatever you want to call it. Um, But they didn't start a season and stop it, right? They canceled the whole season. When baseball started, when baseball had their uh, owners lockout, this was something that was premeditated. They played the entire season up until August, then they locked everybody out and then they never finished the season. And to me, it reminded me something about Broadway where if you you had gone to see a play, let's say you had gone to see Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, OK, and you paid a lot of money for your tickets. And then somewhere between the first act and the second act, Lin-Manuel walks out and says, hey, we've had an issue with our, with our performers and they want more money than we're willing to pay them. And so therefore, uh, we're not going to see the second act. I mean, you would go to the box office and they would return your money. Baseball never did that they never finished the season they never crowned a champion they so everything that they played between april and august was a fraud and they should have done something to return the money because this was something that they knew that they were going to lock out the players you know this was their strategy so and when baseball did that i was like i'm out
0: I'm and out. i I can understand that. I mean, I was, um, you know, with the hockey strike, I, I don't remember the one after the Rangers winning. I was still relatively young. I don't even remember the baseball strike. I think, you know, that was the early nineties. I was only a few years old at that point. Um, but I do, you know, it was the second hockey strike during my life that actually affected me. And, and again, I, I understand the, the ins and outs of both of them now, but at that age, it was for whatever reason, I was just completely devastated. I couldn't believe it. You know, the, you know, I was, what, like 12, I think, when it happened. So, you know, it, it's a little different now understanding kind of how it works and the business aspects of all these things now at 28. Um, but I do, I do appreciate that little, you know, maybe everyone doesn't know that. So I appreciate you diving into that for a bit. But
1: one last thing I wanted to say about this, if yeah. you give me a chance, and that is I lost my passion for hockey after the second strike as well. I really did. And it became very, very hard for me to get back into the sport. I don't watch it as often until this year. And this year's Rangers team, for whatever reason, has just really excited me. And they're not the best team. They, they probably weren't going to make the playoffs, although they had this amazing run uh, before this whole craziness happened. And it was exciting to watch the Rangers again. And this is probably the year that I've most enjoyed hockey since that lockout. And they've made me a fan again. And the way the Rangers play and the way the Rangers, I mean, just the garden sounds and everything that's involved around New York Rangers hockey, which is just so different from any other team. It just makes you really, really love the sport again. And uh, so I'm back.
0: It took okay. you. I, I mean, just three years in a row i think they went to eastern conference finals and they made it to the uh the stanley cup and that didn't that didn't bring you back at all man
1: the the, the stanley cup year, did i was watching the stanley cup year a lot and uh it was a shame that they wound up losing to the kings and all those games were just so close and they were gone either way but the kings were just a tad bit better and they deserved to win uh the stanley cup that year for sure but uh yeah those years had me in a little bit and then i lost it again for a while and then this year it totally brought me back watching Panarin and uh, watching uh, all the new kids play and, uh, and how good they are, Bushnevich and uh, all these guys. It's just, it's fun to watch.
0: It was a lot of fun. I still just like saying the bread man. I think that's like one of the best nicknames in sports. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love it. But going back to you for us for, yeah. you know, hopefully a little bit longer than a second, but hey, we can have a conversation all day. It seems like we know what we're doing here. So this is fun. But when did you, you know, as you said, common, you know, you, you realized you weren't capable of playing sports. And a lot of people do come to that realization. I feel like probably like either in or before, a little bit before high school. What, at what point did you realize that you wanted to, not just watch, you know, there's a lot of different ways to work in sports. Why was commentating and announcing the way that you wanted to, you know, connect with your passion further and do that for the rest of your life?
1: It started really in Mexico. There was a lot of really good announcers on what used to be, well, it was Televisa in Mexico. And uh, there are two soccer announcers specifically that, that really got me, uh, Angel Fernandez and Fernando Luengas, who were the uh, the two main guys who, who call soccer in, in Mexico. And they did a, you know, in Mexico, they do things, differently than they do them here and they still do this which is sort of strange so they'll have two guys in a booth now that in many cases they have many more than two guys sometimes they overpopulate a booth with just too many voices but at the time they had two guys in a booth and it was Fernández uh, and so one guy would do play-by-play in the first half and the other guy would do play-by-play in the second half and then you know they'd alternate doing color And so that was their system of doing things over there. And it wasn't until I got back to the United States in 1970 when I started watching sports over here that I was like, oh, wait, wait, one guy just does play-by-play all the time and one guy just does color? That's weird. So, um, but that's where I learned it. And I really enjoyed the way they did things. And uh, I became fans and I became just as big a fan of the announcers as I was of the teams that were playing.
0: And I love that story a lot because it's actually very similar to myself. Uh, growing up a very big Mets fan, always listening to Howie Rose on, uh, well, it was the fan and then it was CWR. Now I think it's CBS with what the Mets are one of the few teams that I've at least come across with at least they're radio announcers that do the same thing. They alternate who's doing play by play and who's doing color. I obviously listen to a lot of Yankees games as well. And the legendary John Sterling and Susan Waldman, they, they, You know, John Sterling always does play by play and Susan always does the color. So I I agree with you. I kind of like hearing two different voices doing two different things occasionally, kind of switching back and forth, one doing one, one doing the other. And I I, growing up, that's kind of what I was accustomed to. And then when I finally started watching more baseball and listening to more baseball, especially on the radio, I realized it wasn't like that. Um, And I kind of like listening to the Mets more, obviously biased and being a fan, but also for that exact fact, I think that's really interesting.
1: So you didn't get to hear uh, the Mets when they were broadcast by Lindsey Murphy, uh, Ralph Kiner, and no it, nope. no, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't Lindsey Murphy. What was it? it? Was John Murphy? Was it ah, Ralph Kiner?
0: Ralph Kiner, I remember. Yes,
1: definitely Ralph Kiner. Um, what am I? I'm mis- now I'm starting to blank on the other guys. So what they did, and I'm sorry about this, and I'm blanking on the names, but what they used to do is that they had three guys in a booth, and one would go off and do radio, and the other two would do three innings play-by-play, and they would all rotate doing three innings, uh, three innings play-by-play on radio, three innings on uh, on TV, and mm-hmm. they, they did that rotation, and that's the way that that worked. It was yes, it was Lindsay Nelson. It was Lindsay Nelson. That was a Lindsey Nelson, Ralph Kiner and Murphy is, a, I can't remember his name right now, but the, the, those are the three. I'm getting yeah. old.
0: That was a little before my time. Um, I grew up with Howie Rose. I, I can remember Howie Rose's, Howie uh, Rose. And then obviously Gary Cohen was on radio and then Gary Cohen moved to uh, TV, which he's fantastic at. I don't know. As of last night, I think we're recording this on April 7th or 8th, something like that. The, uh, the Mets, booth uh gary keith and ron actually called a mlb the show simulated baseball game on youtube (laughs) and they did it as if it was a real game and it was incredible and it brought me back and i hope they do it every night for the rest of time until baseball comes back because it was something that we were able to do so i uh they're great announcers they're great announcers i mean rose
1: has a signature call on uh on rangers hockey Mm -hmm. when he used to do the rangers before he was a an islander announcer I didn't know he did
0: the Rangers. I knew he did the Islanders.
1: I didn't oh, realize yes. he did the Rangers. So, uh, when the Rangers, uh, 1994, when they won the Cup, they, when they eliminated, uh, sorry to say this, your team, the Devils, uh, the Stefan Mateau goal was the um, that beat Richard Bordeaux. Uh That, that was uh, his signature call was, Mateau, Mateau, Mateau.
0: Oh, I know that one. I didn't realize it was Howie Rose. That's Howie that.
1: Rose. Yes, it is. My
0: goodness. He is amazing. And he is i he's very, him. very good. I miss them all. And, you know, hopefully it all comes back one of these days. So with, with understanding finally and, you know, kind of being, falling in love, not with just the sports, but also the announcers themselves. How did you, how did you go about getting into this career path? Because there's a lot of people that want to do sports announcing, right? There's so many people and it's the daily grind and it's all these other opportunities. So how did you, start on this path and then how did you finally break in to get that first job
1: so it it started really in high school so i took um an internship off uh, my last half semester or my last semester in high school i took an internship working for a guy who worked in public relations by the name of david halberstam not the writer for the washington Post, you know in washington but uh different guy, same name, David Halberstam, uh, here in New York. And I did internship for him. Uh, and he, at the time, was a radio, aside from doing a lot of public relations, he was also the radio play-by-play of uh, CUNY basketball. And so from there, uh, I went to college and I went to Brooklyn College. And I went in, one of the first things I did on campus was go to Brooklyn College Radio. And uh, I wanted to be part of the radio staff so i went and i figured the easiest way probably to get in to do sports radio is maybe like through engineering and i thought in my mind that you know there was like a hierarchy and then you would do like one thing and then you can get to the other etc so i went up there and i was speaking to uh the guy by the name his name is gary cohen as well uh who was a sports director at the time and i was telling him what my path was and what i was trying to accomplish and he said well you don't have to be an engineer to do that you can just take the sports test and i was like okay I take sports tests, and so he gives me the sports test. And I remember the, the thing that stood out the most was that they said they had all all the NFL teams, and he said, you know, put the starting quarterbacks for all the NFL teams. In the test. So not only that, I organized it into their divisions. Put the starting quarterbacks. And added the coaches as well, you know, and it wasn't like you could cheat with an iPhone or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Those back in 1977 didn't exactly exist. So uh, I got the, I got that. And then within the next half an hour, um, he says, Hey, the guy who's supposed to do the six o'clock news tonight who's supposed to do the five minute sportscast on the six o'clock news. Can't make it. Can you fill in? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And so I did it. And he liked my work so much that he wound up giving me that slot off that performance. Wow. So I was uh, pretty psyched for that. And then I continued to do that. then within the next uh, half a year, I became the assistant sports director at Brooklyn College Radio. And then I added on to the things that I was doing, I added on newscasts, and I also did uh, a music show a couple of times a week, which I really enjoyed as well, because that's another passion of mine, is music, although I cannot play an instrument or sing to save my life, cannot dance, terrible white man's disease, all the way around. So, um, but I could put together music as far as, you know, and looking for the perfect segue, which was our, our mission there. And uh, I really enjoyed doing doing that and had a lot of fun uh, with that. But within six months, I became the sports director, uh, with assistant sports director. And then by the second year, I was the sports director. And so the first meeting that I had with our staff, I said, well, what's our job? Well, what's our job here at BCR? And everybody, and that was the name, the call letters of the station, WBCR, New Dimensions in New York. And I said, so what's our, what, what are we supposed to do here? What are we looking for as a, you know, as a group? And people started chiming in. Well, we got to cover the Kingsmen. That was a name, nickname of the Brooklyn College teams. We got to cover the basketball team, the bas-, you know, football team, the volleyball team. And I said, no, that's not our mission. Our mission is to be able to get jobs. And so we're going to do all that, but we're also going to go out into the professional world and we're going to get credentials to every team sport that we can get our hands on. Okay. And we're going to go out and cover and we're going to shadow whoever the best guys are and look at how they do their job. And then it's our job to learn from that, to emulate what's good, to not emulate what's bad. And we're going to start our road to professionalism that way. And so we couldn't get, I mean, the Mets and the Yankees immediately said, screw that. We're not giving you credit. We're not giving you credentials. Same thing for the Jets and the Giants. But... We got credentials for the Nets. We got credentials for, um, I believe it was the Islanders. We got credentials for World Team Tennis. Um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, we didn't have any major sports. So it wasn't like, you know, you're in Duke, you get to cover the Duke basketball team, or you're in Texas and you're, you're covering the Longhorns. I mean, it's not like that, right? You're not Alabama and covering Nick Saban as a college radio station or a college newspaper. So... You know, ours was very small time and so we needed to go out and and do whatever we could professionally and we did and the cosmos were around and uh, All sorts of things. So we started doing that and uh, While that happened and we really got a lot of really good experience out of that while that happened uh, the Major indoor soccer league was born in 1978 and so Within the what I had decided that we're going to cover professional teams So I asked for press credentials to get uh, there. And so I started covering some of their preseason stuff and uh, I asked um, The general manager at the time I said, so who's doing radio for you? And uh, he said well a a small Long Island station WGLI uh, Is going to be doing it Dave Johnson is going to be doing play-by-play and I said well I'd love to do color and he goes really? start calling what's going on, out, out, on the, out on the field. I was like, all right. And I started, you know, I knew who the players were and all that. And I started, you know, I started doing like a little bit of play by play. And within five minutes, he said, all right, good enough. He says, we can't pay you, of course. Uh, but I got uh, a full year of experience doing that. Uh, then they changed their whole system and they brought new people in. And uh, so uh, Tim Lewicki came in uh who's a famous name as far as uh he worked with AEG and did a lot of work with um the galaxy you know back in back in the time so uh and he brought in his all, all his people so
0: we were all out but at that, least I did a year. That's impressive man. That is um awesome story. Also just wanted to touch upon a point. He wally pipped the guy. I think that is pretty <laughs> uh pretty funny how that works. Someone couldn't show up and you got the job and you crushed it so you kept it. I think that's very important. And showing hey. up F-
1: f- I just want to say that Dave Maloney, who's a really, really good guy, is working for WINS and he's a good friend. So uh <laughs> I'm happy that things turned out okay for him. He got he Dave got Maloney. other he, he got other say,
0: people. I've seen and heard Dave Maloney a couple times. Um someone the Im- yeah.
1: There's a lot of impressive people. well that's a different Dave Maloney. But oh, uh, my goodness,
0: how many people do you know with double net like what is what's going yeah, on? I know man? it's crazy. crazy.
1: So um was it what well, is it Dave? Now I'm thinking maybe, maybe he has another first name. Maybe it's a different first name. Now that you're making me think, because Dave Maloney is definitely Rangers. Mike Maloney? Jim Maloney? Jim Maloney might be. It might be Jim okay. Maloney. Okay. Either way, Maloney. Anyway, he's working with WINS. He was doing really, really well. Out of that staff that uh, we put together, we got a lot of people who went on to media. Uh, the most famous of, of them all was probably Scott Herman, who uh, ran uh, CBS Radio. I mean, he was a vice president for CBS Radio and just retired a couple of years ago when they were bought out by Intercom. Wow. So, um, and there's going to be some synergy that I'll talk to you about later on about with Scott. But uh, he was vice president of CBS Radio. It doesn't, you know, doesn't get much better than that. He's a fantastic guy. That he also awesome. has Steve Molsberg, but we won't talk about Steve Molsberg who's a guy who just does very conservative, uh, politic radio. I mean, sort of like to the right of, uh, Alex Jones.
0: Oh my goodness. All right. Yeah. That's, uh, not, not, not a huge pol- political guy. Um, not a huge Alex Jones guy. Uh, but Hey man, teach his own and, you know, hopefully, We'll, uh, we'll just leave that one right there. So um, I think, again, I think it's awesome. And one thing I always like to talk about again is that how you broke in and how you got that first opportunity. And you didn't even get the opportunity. You completely earned it. You went out, you showed your skills. I mean, how did you, did you study the, the major indoor soccer league players and the team before you went and spoke to that gentleman? Or like, how did you know who all these players were? So that way, when you got that random opportunity, which you, I assume, did not know was coming, you were able to just pretty much just say, yes, I can do this and then start going.
1: Yeah. So that was basically that. I mean, I went to a lot of practices and uh, to their press conferences. I had all their information, you know, of who the players were and all of that. So, uh, you know, and I had memorized it. So uh, at that point, it it wasn't like the first practice that I went to. I had been to several practices. So so when that uh, came up, I was able to uh,
0: just do that. I love it. So again, and anybody out there listening, make sure you are doing everything you possibly can. Cause you never know when that opportunity is going to come. You never know when you're going to be asked to do play by play of a practice. Um, it might not come all that often, but when it does, you got to be there and you have to crush it. So with, with sports broadcasting, one thing that always comes up is, and it comes up a lot with journalism too. And it sounds like you're a very big Rangers fan um, or at least they brought you back into the fold. What, is it about being a sports broadcaster, the, the difficult aspect of it, the daily grind, especially when we talk about a sport like baseball um, with football. I know that there's a lot that goes on with it. So, you know, you, you get this first opportunity, you do that for an entire year, you go on to bigger and better things, but what are some of the drawbacks of can you still be a fan of a team or the sport? How do you watch a game without noticing the mess ups or the positives that the announcers do what do you do on that end of of doing what you love so much
1: you know w- watching games now is interesting because as you know as a fan you just want to sometimes when you're not working a game you want to sit at home and uh, you know watch a football game a hockey game basketball soccer whatever it is and then you wind up listening to the announcers in a different way than you would as a fan. And so you pick up on stuff that they do that's either really, really good. And you go, Oh my God, how did he think of that? Or how does he know that? How does he have that in his notes? That's fantastic research. Or you pick up on stuff that they do that is just really bad. And I find it more so in football when I see people analyzing replays. So having worked 25 years at ESPN, um we most of the stuff that we did and i'm talking about 99 percent of the stuff that we did in spanish which is different than, than english was done in the studio off monitors okay as opposed to being live at the event and doing it uh from you know from a broadcast booth and so i got a chance to watch a lot of tv for a living and when it came to the nfl now i did the nfl and I still do it, but I did Sunday Night Football, and then when it turned to Monday Night, or it was Monday Night Football, and then it turned to Sunday Night Football, I did that in Spanish for all of Latin America. So um, I was doing that, I did that for a dozen years, or over a dozen years. And when you're watching stuff on TV, you start, lo- you start understanding how, the, how that all works, and replay works, and, and angles work, and angles are really, really important. And you also have to understand that maybe one camera can show one thing. Another camera can show something totally different. And then you have a third camera. And then sometimes you got to piece all those things together and to be able to make a, you know, to be able to make a decision. And sometimes it's just, there is no decision to make. There's so many areas of gray and you hear announcers who make definitive statements Or flawed information that they're getting on television. And I'm looking at the same replays that they're looking at. And when I was doing English, you know, when I was doing rather Spanish and doing, you know, Sunday night football, now with uh, Chris Collinsworth and John Madden before him, there was never really much of a problem. Those guys really got it well, but not everybody is them. And there's a lot of guys who will make definitive statements off replays that you cannot make. There's a lot of times you say, you know what? I don't know. So whatever they called on the field at the moment, just go with that because there's nothing here that's definitive that says that this was a touchdown, the ball crossed the line. You can make an assumption, but you can, but the assumptions aren't the way you're supposed to go with this. And then there are a lot of times where you can see things very, very clearly one way and you're hearing an announcer and you'll see the announcer saying it's something else. And this happened to me a lot on Thursday Night Football when Mike Mayock was the uh, color announcer. Before he took before you know he stopped doing that and now he's the uh, general manager of the Raiders, and he would analyze things on off monitor that I would be like, that's not what the monitor is showing, and so I'm trying to do this you know I'm doing the game in Spanish and when I was doing Thursday Night Football I was doing it solo I had no color guy it was just me in the booth, and so I'm doing play by play and color and I'm looking at the replays and I could tell very clearly what had happened. And he's saying something that was just totally opposite. And I was just like, why is he looking at this like this? What is he seeing that I'm not seeing? Or what is he not seeing that I'm seeing? And, you know, and the same thing also goes for referees. You know, there are times where I see referees, that I'm convinced that a play should be called one way. And then the referee goes the other way. And then I'm wondering, well, what didn't I see? You know, did I make a mistake somewhere along the line? Or did the referee not see it correctly or did they not uh, be able to handle the technology correctly? And, you know, in a lot of times, a lot of guys are much older and sometimes don't see technology in the same way younger guys do. Now, some of us are t- uh, tech savvy. Some, some of us aren't. Uh, I think I'm tech savvy. I can use an iPhone. I am working zoom with you. There you go. I fixed my audio and my video just before we started. Perfect Take care of that right they didn't need my 13 year old to do that for me so there there we go i love but, it uh,
0: yeah keep going but it's
1: so when it comes down to that you know you're just wondering what what they're you know what they're seeing so ha- having done all this on television for so long actually gives me an advantage in a, in a booth when i am looking at replays especially now that if i'm looking if i'm calling a game for a new york city fc and those are done at the stadium for the most part. And I'm seeing a replay when you know when they when they're going back to video to see you know VAR to see if something is uh, you know offside or not offside or a goal or not a goal, et cetera, et cetera, And I can I can see that maybe
0: a little bit better than most. And I think that's very important because I mean, especially now. I mean, football obviously is you know there's it feels like there's a I mean there's a replay every every eight seconds essentially (laughs) whenever a play happens there's then a like four replays i think you watch way more replays in football than you do actually live game uh, which is always funny to me but with uh you know baseball now starting to bring in the replays soccer the var you brought it up that is a very important skill that i think especially you know with what you do you kind of have to know what the audience is looking at and how they're looking at it so you can relate to them because Mm -hmm. we've been watching you know i've been watching football since i was i don't know like eight I watch football every Sunday for eh, 11 hours I watch it every Saturday from 12 in the afternoon until probably one o'clock in the morning there's a football game on my yeah. television so you know I watch a lot of football too and it's nice to know that the person that's calling the games has that relationship level and that understanding that I have when it comes to these things because yes, yeah, sometimes I'll watch and just be like what are you talking about you know, like you're just its completely, you know, that uh, not to rip on anyone from ESPN, but that booth was really funny a couple years ago. Um, yeah. and you know, the, with Booger and, and Jason Witten and, you know, obviously it's like, their first time doing it. And, it's just like, what are you talking about? That's just so blatantly wrong. And how do you not see that? So it's very interesting from that perspective. And I guess then the other the other half of the question that I asked that was very long winded, and I do apologize, I'm getting better at this, I promise. What the grind aspect? the grind aspect, as you said, you did Thursday night football, you did Sunday night, you did Monday night, I'm sure you did something on, on Saturdays, I'm sure during the week, you weren't doing nothing. What is the grind aspect like of Calling so many of these games, needing to know all these players, watching the film, watching the tape, and doing all of that. I mean, I know you love it, but doesn't that kind of start to wear on you after a little while?
1: It it can, especially towards uh, the end of the year when you had uh, the week after Christmas, before New Year's, where I would be doing a college football game every day. And in some cases, they they made me do two uh, college football games. Uh, on New Year's and that that, that was absurd the, because at least with the NFL okay with the NFL you, you're obviously less teams than in college football and you know most of them because everybody's talking about them all the time so it's a lot easier to prep you know what to do with to, to be able to do your prep sometimes we don't have the advantage of being able to look at film and things like that because it's it's a as you say it's a grind it's every day you're doing something it's like baseball you know you're not going to get get a chance to watch film so, or anything like that. So you do your prep with all the information that the team sends you. Uh, you may be able to watch a couple of things here and there. Maybe you'll be able to catch half a game of what the, the, you know, of the last game that they played. So you become more familiar with them and things like that. But, you know, sometimes just, it just doesn't give you enough time when they're you, you know, when they're putting you through uh, the mill and uh, you can't get off you can't prep in the same way. And it was actually a huge complaint that I had that they were making us do too much stuff and that the quality of our broadcast would suffer and that the fan would wind up losing because of the fact of the way that they were using us. And it was sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know you worked two games yesterday, but here you got to do another game today. And it didn't matter. Right. It was just sort of like, let's get these games out in Spanish, no matter how we can do them. And it was sad in, in, in many ways. Um, And that grind that week, it was always such a killer. I would look forward to January 2nd so much because it was normally not a game that day that I could just like relax and just, just exhale, exhale. I mean, it was just terrible. I, there's, you know, a love for sport and a love to do this, but every day when you're trying to learn, you know, a lot of these teams have a hundred players and they they rotate them a lot and uh, you, you start, start, you start, thinking about the quarterback that you were talking about yesterday as opposed to the guy who you're supposed to be talking about today and you're giving the wrong statistics or you remember something from you know a great stat and was, oh crap that, that, that was yesterday's guy and then you have to apologize for it and they oh sorry that was yesterday's guy and I'm always one of the things that I always do on the air is that if I make a mistake I'll own it on the air I'll own it on the air I'll correct myself and make a joke about myself which is quite easy and then move on so that, that's my style. Uh, I've worked with a lot of play-by-play people and a lot of color people who make a mistake on the air and basically said, they, they probably didn't catch it and therefore I'm not gonna address it. Just let it go. And I was like, nah, I can't let it go. It will eat at me. I will think about that for the next month if I don't address this. And I'll address it, I'll come back and I said, oh, I said so-and-so, it was really this guy, I apologize my glasses were foggy, whatever it is. And I'll, I'll move on. But I, I like always have the respect for the audience to make them understand that, yes, we're all human. We can make mistakes. I must correct a mistake because I want to give you the right information. That's and my now, job.
0: With Twitter too. We all, we, we, we find out about it very, very quickly when oh, someone yeah. messes up and I I'll be the first person, you know, sitting on my couch, drinking a beer, eating chicken wings. Hey, wrong wrong quarterback that's the different thing i'll say it out loud and i'll yell at the guy on the tv and i'm sure people have done it to you and i always i always appreciate when they do say oh no okay not this guy not and i'm sure people slip up and things happen i'm not going to hold it against i'm we not going to stop. Up. exactly i'm not going to stop watching the game because they said uh no. you know person x instead of person y but it's definitely something where you know i appreciate that you know y- y- i mean and people are listening to you right like my attention of the time is focused on the game and what's going on. And I'm listening and I'm here and not, not just hearing I'm listening and trying to understand what's going through to, to learn more about the game. So I appreciate that we are listening to you and, and thank you for apologizing because a lot of people out there heard what you said and it is very important in my opinion. So I think that that part is great. And I, I appreciate that Roberto. Thank you for taking us into a consideration.
1: Well, thank you. And I'll tell you one of the things that's interesting. So this year, for the first time, we didn't do a Super Bowl party where we had like 10 to 15 people over. It was just me, my wife, and uh, my son. And we watched the game. And I enjoyed it so much more than having a million people over that I have to cater to that I couldn't watch the game. And I really wanted to hear the announcers. I really wanted to hear what they had to say. And so this time, I finally got really a chance to be able to do that. Because there was nobody here talking to, me, talking to me in my ear. I was like, I'm enjoying this a lot more. And I love my friends. Nothing against my friends. Of course. I love my friends. They're brilliant. But it was a different experience to be able to watch the Super Bowl that way. And I enjoyed it.
0: It was also nice that the Patriots weren't in the Super Bowl. I uh, I appreciated that a little bit. I don't know if you're allowed to say that, but I'll say I'll, it for I'll the. Bowl, love but... it.
1: Yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll I'll let you say that. It was nice for other teams to get a chance.
0: Yes, that's an, that's the the po- nice political way to go about it, Roberto. I think, I thank you very much. I, uh, yes, and don't then, want so... uh,
1: don't, don't want to hear the wrath of uh, Patriot fans. <laughs> I get that all the time anyway. <laughs>
0: Don't worry. I mean, now that Tom Brady's not there, it's kind of funny. Uh, we'll see what happens. And don't worry. I mean, yeah, never mind. We don't have to go there. So with, <laughs> um, with calling games and always doing it, as you said, you know, sometimes you're doing college, sometimes you're doing NFL. There's a lot of games. There's a little amount of games. How One thing that I always find interesting, and maybe this is a little bit more in baseball than it is in other sports, but certain time, especially in college football, this happens too with blowouts. And understanding now a lot of people aren't tuning in, now if the game's you know 35 points in in the third quarter nobody cares anymore it's always fun for me to watch those games not only because of the gambling aspect because maybe that was supposed to happen but the uh listening to the announcers and the play-by-play guys just try their and do their best to keep me engaged i always just kind of laugh at that what do you do and, and how much research do you guys have and how many stories do you kind of have in your back pocket so that way, if a game does turn into a blowout, especially one that is kind of expected to be a three-touchdown game, let's call it, how do you go about filling that time? Because that's always something very funny to me with, uh, with play-by-play and uh, um, color guys.
1: So it really helps who you're working with, okay? That really, really helps. Uh, so I used to work with a guy named Eduardo Varela. and We used to do Sunday Night Football. And so Eduardo and I would wind up debating a lot of different points. He and I were polar opposites on everything. And as a matter of fact, for a while uh, on the air, we sometimes didn't get along. And it was because if if he saw something one way, and I saw it a different way, and I would say, well, I don't think you know, I don't think it's this way. I think it's this way, right? Or I would look at it from a different perspective and he would get mad and then we'd go to commercial and he would like, just trying to sabotage me and it was all that. It's freaking crazy. Then we started working together on the Spanish version of the sports reporters, which then they wound up changing the format to more like a PTI format. And he understood, he started to understand debate and different points of view, and how that can be entertaining. And we started to bond over that. And then we brought that to the games. And so even if if it was a blowout, it was better for us as far as that was concerned. But even when it wasn't, if we saw something differently, we would both attack it from our own points of view. And then, you know, and we would debate it on the air. And he would be like, you're crazy, you can't see And, And I'd go right back at him. And people loved it, loved it. And we would have like our little mini PTI right there during the broadcast of the game. And I would come back with which, you know, trying to back up all mine, you know, with facts, whatever I could, whatever numbers I could use to be able to back up my point of view. And uh, sometimes it got emotional, but whatever we did, we understood that now it had to be done with a smile as opposed to you know, being angry, which is really more of a debate format in Spanish than it is in English. So, and I brought the, I want to do this in a fun way, as opposed to a mean or angry way. There's no it's sports, you know, what are we doing here? And so we would have these debates on the air. And if I could make him laugh, which was always my strategy, say something to him that would totally disarm him and make him crack up on the air. That would be my, that would be my win, And I did it to him every game. And it was a lot of fun and people really, really appreciate it. Now uh, I haven't, I hadn't worked with him since like 2000, I think 14 or 15 and all that. And to this day, people still write me. When are you two guys getting back together to be able to do broadcasts? because they were the most fun broadcast that we've ever seen. That's awesome, and it is, and uh, it's too bad that we're no longer working together because I'm no longer there, but uh, so uh, but hopefully one day Eduardo and I will get a chance to work together again and uh. I can put him in his place on the air as he deserves.
0: I'll cross my fingers for you guys, especially if you have, I mean, chemistry is so important. Uh, You know, we see it all the time. Again, going back to baseball, those guys are constantly together with each other 162 games a year. Obviously I think they all only work about 120, and then it goes in and out, but you don't see it as much with football in my opinion. Um, Obviously the, the primetime games are always going to be the same and the booths are always the same, but it's just, there's just not that same feeling. You know, you see someone once a week, you know, you have your ABCD squads and you're kind of, maybe I don't really watch too much of this booth though. It's always nice when, especially on the primetime opportunities that there is some chemistry there, that there is that opportunity. You know, I thought I was going to hate Tony Romo. Absolutely love him and Jim Nance. I think that they're yeah. absolutely fantastic. I'm not a huge Al Michaels and, and Chris Collinsworth fan. Um, a really Not a huge fan. Well, I understand why people are. I'm just—it's not kind of my, not my cup of tea. I, I, again, I don't—not a huge fan of the ESPN broadcast either. But you don't work there anymore, so I don't feel bad saying that.
1: No, that's okay. Even if I, if I did work there, it's a, it's a legitimate criticism, right? You're not the only one criticizing that booth, and uh, I'm sure. I always love Joe Tessitore. Uh, I think he's—he's
0: uh, a, he's great... a great college football announcer. Incredible I, I, I... college football announcer.
1: He's—he's he's been put in a tough position. So you know, you're starting a booth from scratch with two guys who had never done. NFL either it's not like you brought in somebody who's already done this for Mm -hmm. a couple of years or a few years and then you pair pair it on with somebody who's you know never done NFL before so it's a very tough uh booth for all three when Jason Witten was there and now for for them but I, I hope that they get better I hope that they understand what their issues are so they can learn from them and I think they're going to get at least one more year out of this uh, and and for, you know they're all very likable guys, and and I hope I'm sure that they study themselves very hard, and they've got people at ESPN who are looking at what they're doing and saying maybe we can try this or maybe you should do this, and uh, you know try to be able to fix it. You know sometimes it takes a while to get going, and maybe <laughs> they'll hit their stride uh, this next season, and they'll be a great booth, and I and I really hope so. Tony Romo blew me away, Tony Romo because he did something that I'd never heard any other color announcer do now there are different ways to be able to do color and you know depending on what your experience is and you know it doesn't always have to be x's and o's it doesn't always have to be you know coach speak and you know it can be fun and you know like bill walton has on college basketball who i adore he's the best and um but tony romo when he starts looking at formations and calls out the plays before the plays had, I had never seen anybody do this. And he's fantastic at it. And I was just so blown away. And then he's got a lot of charisma and everything mm-hmm. else. And Jim Dance, you know, knows how to play straight guy with him. And they go back and forth. It's, you know, he's worth his $18 million a year. I mean, he really
0: is. I, I, mean, I can only I, hope one day. <laughs> I'll cross my fingers for you, Roberto. I hope you get, you gotta, he set the market. So hopefully you're getting 20 on the next contract. But <laughs> with, uh, with Tony Romo, the one thing I did love it, I think it's fantastic. Um, Jim Nance is obviously a legend. You know, he does everything for CBS and it's the best. Um, but the one thing that really kind of made me a little angry and it wasn't Tony Romo's fault, but during the Super Bowl a couple years ago, he was pretty much, I don't, I don't know how you want to say it, but he was kind of clamped or, or muzzled by CBS because I guess they didn't want him to say the plays before it happened. So in that Super Bowl, granted, that was one of the most boring Super Bowls I've ever watched in my life, but also then we couldn't get the enjoyment of watching Tony Romo call the plays before they happened. Like he wasn't allowed to do that, which kind of I thought was a little disappointing. Um,
1: I didn't know that. For, yeah, did, for I whatever did, I, reason. I did not know that. You got to yep. let Tony Romo be Tony Romo. Let him exactly. do whatever he wants to do. You don't put any limitations on him. You don't speak to him about what you can do and what you can, you know, you just let him go. If something, you know, then starts, if you start repeating a pattern that's bad, then maybe somebody should come over to him and say, Hey, by the way, you know, I don't think this is working or for whatever reason, or maybe Jim Nance will tell him directly or he'll understand it himself,
0: but you don't want to limit Tony Romo. And now he's getting $18 million a year. So something does not going to get limited anytime soon. I think think it is. I agree. Great. Um, so what, how do you, you know, again, going back to the grind aspect, which is something very interesting to me when it comes to journalism, when it comes to play-by-play, how, you know, as you said before, you and Eduardo, you guys figured it out. You guys had that chemistry. Again, you're at ESPN for 25 years, which is absolutely incredible. You're at CBS now doing NFL. You I said before, NYCFC, um, HBO as well. How do you make sure that every time you go out, you are the best version of you possible. Some days you don't have it. Some days I do this and I know halfway through, I was like, ah, oh, this isn't going to be a good one. How do you know and, and how do you make sure that you're always being the best possible play by play or color guy that you could possibly be when you go out there?
1: Well, you got to be prepared obviously. And so, you know, and, and understand your sport and study your sports and <laughs> I, th- that's uh, the, the best way, even with all of that, you can have really bad days. And I've had bad days where I'm like banging the desk between commercials, like what the hell is coming out of my mouth? I have, you know, and you, you just feel it that you've had a bad day. And then you have other days where you just like, oh, my God, this was just, this is awesome. This is just, and, and, and you can just feel it all the way through. Look, I'm really, really lucky to do what I do. And uh, I don't take it for granted. I work very, very hard. And while I was at ESPN, uh, I missed only one day in 25 years uh, for sickness. And I missed uh, two days in 25 years because of weather-related issues that I couldn't make it up there. Um, you know, I'm committed to what I do. Um, you've got you've to be. And if you're not committed to what you do, you're not really going to excel at it. You've got to put everything into it and so you know people are putting their trust in me and i have to pay that back and also at the same time i owe it to everybody who's listening to me who i always say and i believe this and it's not just a, a, a you know a saying i really i don't care who pays me and what vehicle i'm using to deliver whatever i'm doing but i work for the people who are listening to me i never whoever gives me a check They give me a check for working for people who listen to me. And that's always been my attitude. And so to me, I always have to give them the best version of myself. Sometimes it's going to be crappy. You know, we all have those bad days, you know, and and that's going to happen. But it wasn't because of the lack of trying. It wasn't because I, you know, I slacked off or didn't want to do the work. I, you know, there are times that you're tired and, you know, you're doing game after game after game, which sometimes happens and uh, you try to do the best that you can, you're not going to do the same sort of studying that some, you know, sometimes that happens, but you still manage to be able to get through the game and you know do a good, incredible job. Sometimes your bosses don't give you the opportunity to shine like you would just by over-assigning you or to putting you on things that you're not qualified for. I turned down a lot of work. So I've been a freelancer. For everybody who I've worked for, I've been a freelancer. So I've turned down work of uh, uh, sports that... They were trying to assign me that I know that I didn't know anything about. And I was like, this is not fair to the listener. You know, don't put me on poker. I know nothing about poker. And just because I speak Spanish and I can maybe translate on the fly of what the guys are saying in English who I have in my ear, I'm not going to do that. Because that's not fair to the fan. I want to be able to give them a good broadcast. They deserve that. I don't care if it's only 10 people listening. If it's 10 people listening, they're going to get the best version because they deserve that. They deserve to have somebody who knows the sport that they're tuning into. It's the worst thing to have somebody, and this happened a lot, of having somebody who's doing a sport, who was put on the sport that they knew nothing about because they were assigned and they were forced to do it. And then the you know the people at home were going, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And it's frustrating and it's horrible, but people who assign these broadcasts are the ones who are like, I need to get this out in Spanish. I don't care how, because my boss is going to say, why didn't you get this out in Spanish? So I'm putting Susanna on this board. I don't care if she knows it or not, because that covers my butt. And that happens way, way too often. And when we were all let go at ESPN, uh, they started taking, for instance, Major League Soccer games, which, you know, something that I do and that I love. Uh, And I was doing uh, several games uh, last year for ESPN. And they took those games to Mexico and Argentina, and they had them start doing them over there by guys who didn't follow Major League Soccer or sort of followed it a little bit, had some basic knowledge that was incorrect based on what they thought of 20 years ago. And they were doing the games and had no information, uh, didn't really study or wasn't, or they weren't provided the material because, and the reason I say they didn't really study because I know what studying is like and I know when people know basic stories about players. And so when you're only telling me is Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you know, where's number nine? He's 39 years old and he scored, you know, he's got 20 goals. That means that he's only looking at one sheet in front of him and he hasn't done anything else. And he can't tell me anything else about anybody else on the field except for the Mexican players. Right. So they can talk, they can, they can talk poetic about John dos Santos, but cannot, you know, think of anything about Rolf uh, Fletcher. You know, uh, you know, who is this guy? And they just know his name and his number and he was born in Venezuela. All right, that's good enough. And so you, you can tell. And so for they did a broadcast and I'm listening to it at home. And so there's a, one of the teams, as you may know, is Sporting Kansas City. And in Mexico, they have this thing of calling everything that's Kansas City, Kansas. You know, so it's like, the, it's like so instead of the Kansas City Chiefs, they call them Kansas. And I was like, no, it's not Kansas. They're in Missouri. Right. And so it's not it's Kansas City. It's always Kansas City. Okay, It's the difference. And so they kept on calling Sporting Kansas City, Sporting Kansas. And I'm like, no, that's not the name of the team. And even in graphics, they had it as Sporting Kansas. And I was just like, that's not right. And so I spoke with some of the people at MLS and going, you know, maybe you guys should speak to them and say, you know, do a better job with our games. And so this year what they wound up doing is that they rehired a couple of people that used to do MLS and Alex Pareja, who's wonderful, Richard Mendes, who's great. And then you still have Erico Gomez and um, ah, I'm missing somebody else. Ah, His partner out on the West coast. Um, And and they do very, very good job covering, uh, covering the games. And so I'm happy that the league is getting covered properly and that fans of the league are getting the proper coverage, uh, really good, really good announcers now. So I'm happy that they, uh, that they shifted the way they're doing things. And uh, they're having people call games who know, uh, who know the sport, and know the league, and, you know, know teams and players intimately.
0: And that's important. Yeah, it's very important. That's exactly what I was just gonna say. Because again, like I know, I hate watching a Fox broadcast of the Mets you know, during you know, Memorial Day weekend and all that, there's always, you know, some games and Fox always has however many or ESPN. I don't want to listen to them call a game about the Mets because, yeah, they might know a couple things. But again, I want to listen to the guys that I listen to on a daily basis that know yeah. everything about the Mets. And that's what I want to listen to. I want to hear those stories, especially when it comes to baseball. Um, I don't watch too much soccer, uh, to be totally honest with you. So that's just one thing. Uh, uh, we've
1: got to change that. We've yeah. we got
0: to get you out to an NYCFC game. I would, if you're I here would love in New that. York. I, I will. I usually am in New York, um, you know, a couple of days a week. But unfortunately, with uh, with the lockdown going on, it's probably in my best uh, interest to not <laughs> be there too, too often. But yeah, I would love that. I've been in a, I've been in a truck. I have a good friend of mine who works for Fox uh, Sports. He's an executive there. So he's brought me he's brought me into the truck before, which is really cool. Uh, yes. Just to kind of see how all that stuff works is very interesting to me. And that's why. It's one of the coolest jobs in the world, and that's why I'm very grateful I got the opportunity to chat with you today. There's a few other things um, I had on my list of paper. We're we're at about an hour. We've gone over a little bit of time. So, um, Roberto, this was wonderful. 25 years at ESPN, currently Spanish uh, announcer for the NFL on CBS, NYCFC. Actually, I do want to talk about that for one last second. We were talking about the MLS. Let's just chat about that for a second more. How, With all these opportunities and all these jobs, which which one's your favorite?
1: Right now, uh, I mean – New York City FC, because we started from the beginning, 2015. Uh, I, I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Scott Herman, uh, who uh, was working with me at uh, WBCR, and he worked on my sports staff, then he became general manager of that radio station, and then he turned out to be vice president of CBS. Well, WFAN is, is, was a, a CBS station, and our first three years that we did New York City FC, Uh, the rights were owned by WFAN. And so the games in English were broadcast on FAN and the games in Spanish, they bought time on WADO, Wado, and the games were broadcast over there. And I got to meet, uh, uh, you know, the people at WFAN. um, ah, Why am I? Mark Chernoff, who's a legend in this industry. And he was the one who wound up hiring me. And then um, when I got my contract from FAN, it was signed by Scott Herman, which was very, very cool. And so when I saw that, I was just like, you know, really excited, got emotional and everything, signed it, and then went up there and uh, we had, uh, you know, we had coffee together and uh, spoke about the whole thing. And it was just very, very cool. And I said, did you have any influence on uh, Mark about my hiring? He goes, nope, I had nothing to do with it. It was all you. And I was like, all right, good to know. So, uh, and, Mar- and Mark Shranoff was a legend. I mean, he's a guy who ran WNEW FM when it was the station in in New York, when they had Scott Muni, Alison Steele, you can look up the history of WNEW, it's fantastic. And then he also had to manage Howard Stern and Don Imus. So listening to all those stories. So he hired me within the first 10 minutes of us talking. He gave me the job, and then he allowed me to hire my color guy. <gasps> uh, for, and, and produce a broadcast because he really didn't want much to do with it. And he was happy that, you know, all of that was within my wheelhouse. And so he could trust me to make sure that the broadcasts were good. So I was very happy with that, but we went for the next 90 minutes, just talking about the history, me from the listener side and him from the guy providing all of this, you know, dealing with Scott, uh, with Don Imus dealing with, uh, um, you know, with, with the people at N E W and, uh, Howard Stern, all those things, you know, the feud between Howard and, and Don Imus. I mean, these are radio icons in the United States, not just New York. And they are, um, it was great. It was like such a fantastic day. And then to be able to get that job and then be able to travel with the team everywhere, uh, for three years, um, talking to the coaches before the game and, you know, having that sort of um, relationship with players, owners, um, you know, team, everybody and doing, so, you know, the job that we did and we continue to do for uh, New York City FC. So uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. It's, it really just fills me with joy to be able to, to do these games. And uh, it's why you wanted to join the industry. It's why you wanted it to be there. And, you know, they've got really good guys. All the players are like so nice. You don't have an idiot in the room. Although sometimes that can be a lot of fun uh, when you have somebody who's, you know, making waves and making news all the time. That can be a lot of fun. But um, it's just a great experience. It it really has been. And I like the fact that we've been able to give um, New York. And then while we were broadcasting through streaming nationally, internationally, Uh, a a national type broadcast level to a local radio broadcast. The guys who I've worked with, uh, Juan Mesa, John Rojas, and uh, presently with Ariel Judas are excellent, excellent color guys who not only know the Hispanic players on the team, but knew everybody in the league. So it wasn't just broadcast as a, you know, we're only going to focus on the Hispanic players, and that's that. We focused on the team, everybody we treated equally. You know, Ronald Margarita is the same as Everett, is the same as uh, Anton Tinnerholm or Alex Ring, you know, or James Sands. It didn't matter. We treated them all the same. And when it came to the teams that were coming in, I mean, we could wax poetic on an African player the same way that we could wax on a Mexican player. And that makes our broadcast better because we're talking just, we're talking about the teams, we're talking about the league and and the game and not just focusing on what a lot of radio stations, a lot of radio broadcasts in Spanish do, which is just on the Hispanic angle. And so I'm very proud of those broadcasts. I'm very proud of the way we do them. It's a throwback sort of broadcast to the way uh, I was inspired to do them production-wise in the same way that the Rangers and Knicks did their broadcast when Marv Albert was on radio and doing the games on uh, 1050 AM, where we even do like a cold open with no music, no nothing. And it was just like live from Yankee Stadium. New York City FC meets, you know, the Chicago Fire. And then the music comes in and all that. And I'll get my billboards and then we'll get into the action. You know, which is just totally different from the way where Spanish radio operates now, when guys like to do all these uh, echoes and they're doing all these production tricks and, you know, music under goals and calling goals, you know, the longest you can hold your breath. And, you know, like it's some sort of freaking underwater competition or how long you can hold your breath calling a goal. And I'm not like that. As a matter of fact, I went the other way. So while everybody else stretches out their goal call, like Andres Cantor, I shorten mine. And then, because also these games are broadcast on SAP on Yes. And so I want to be able to give the – uh the microphone to my color guy for when that, when we start hitting replays that he's able to analyze a replay. So, and tell me why this goal was scored. I can tell you how the goal was scored. He can tell you why the goal was scored and that's his job. So having sat on both sides, I know what my job is as a color guy and I know what my job is as a play by play man. And so what would I want in a play by play man? If I'm doing color, that's what I try to be to my color guy. And what would I want in a color guy if I'm doing play-by-play? That's what I try, you know, and that's what I try to get there. So th- that's the way I approached the job. And when I worked with Alex Pareja doing uh, ESPN, when we did our first game, now we had worked, we'd known each other for a couple of years, but we never worked together. And I know that every play-by-play guy at ESPN had their own way of doing things. And... In Spanish, play-by-play is more of a medium than color, but my, my mentality is different. So when I sat down with Alex and I said, let me explain to you what I want to do with a broadcast, and then you chime in, let me know what you think. And I said, radio is a play-by-play medium. Television is a color medium. My job, if I do it right, is to make you look good. That's my job. My job is to make you look good because you've got a ton of knowledge. And what I'm going to do is that I'm going to treat you like an orange and I'm going to squeeze it out of you. So I'm going to give you a chance for you to tell me everything that you know when it's pertinent about what's going on. And we did. And that's how I approached the game. And that's how we did the game. When we finished the game, at the end of the game, and we're going and we're hearing 30 seconds to go. And I'm saying, well, this is an ESPN broadcast. Uh, I'm Robert Abramowitz. Alex, this was an absolute pleasure working with you. First time we've worked together and I loved it. I hope we can do it again. He literally got up from his seat. I came over and he hugged me and he said, I've never worked with anything like this. This was fantastic. Thank you. That's awesome. And I get the chills right now, just thinking about that.
0: That is fantastic. Again, you know, going down to the chemistry aspect and understanding what each of you are supposed to do. And as you said, you've worked on both sides, you know how it works, especially going back to that story in the beginning where you fell in love with play by play in colors because everybody that you listened to in Mexico did both of them. And yeah. I think that that's a very important aspect because you can tell when someone knows what they're doing and how they're doing it. And you can really feel that in the booth. Again, we can go back to the Mets constantly because that's what I pay attention to the most, but it's just so much fun getting to sit there and hearing how, you know, these the announcers and the play-by-play, the color guys, and you go about it. I'm, I'll be very honest. I haven't listened to too many of your broadcasts because I don't understand Spanish that well. So I think that's pretty important to, <laughs> all to, to, to all, know. All the
1: names are understandable.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. All, all the
1: names are understandable.
0: I'm sure I could get that. I'm sure I could get goal. I'm sure I could get touchdown. I'm sure I could get a lot of those things. Alex but Ring I think- is
1: Alex Ring. Doesn't matter what, you know. To- You know, Alex Callens is Alex Callens. It works out fine.
0: I'll figure it out one of these days, but I'm very glad I got to ask that last question because I'm very grateful that you really got into the philosophy of how you do it, what you do it. And again, having that back and forth is very important. And, And having your partner, again you're going to spend a lot of time with and in a soccer game it's a minimum of 90 something minutes right it's a very yeah. minimum of 90 something minutes so you guys it's really a three have to. Hour
1: broadcast because it's exactly two hours, it's a half an hour pre-game show it's a two-hour broadcast and then another half an hour post-game show
0: exactly so and it that helps, is, it is it helps to get along with
1: the guy who you're working with I like the two guys? remember the two guys in detroit i think it was the baseball guys in detroit who literally got into a fight they got into a fist fight and they were both wound up being fired eventually
0: I need to look that up. It's like I a don't couple of years that. ago. Yeah. Not off the, Oh, I haven't really paid attention to the Tigers in the last few years. So maybe that's why they've been pretty <laughs> terrible, but that is interesting. I'll have to look that up. But Roberto, this was incredible. Thank you so much for your time. Roberto Abramowitz, play by play Spanish announcer for the NFL on CBS, NYC FC on the radio, ESPN for 25 years, HBO. When they come back, we didn't even get to talk about the Knicks, but that's probably a good thing.
1: But I well, love uh, the, the, the Knicks have been fun this year, too, in, in, in many ways. So uh, we'll see.
0: You can follow me on Twitter, by the way. I'm Don't there worry. at Robert. I was, just about to ask that. Ah, I was just about to okay. ask that. I was going to say, Robert, or Roberto. Where can yes. everybody find you on the internet? Well,
1: there you go. On Twitter, at Rob Abramowitz. And then on Facebook, uh, Roberto Abramowitz Oficial. It's mostly in Spanish. And uh, we talk about all sorts of sports there. And lately, a lot about the coronavirus. So,
0: <laughs> Well, got to do what you got to do. We got to pass yes. that time. Hopefully, everything gets better soon and you can go back to doing what you love. So thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it.
1: I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Uh, it's, this has been absolutely great, Michael.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Roberto. As I said, he was absolutely wonderful. There was so much more we could have talked about, but I'm sure he had to go and do, you know, live his life, that kind of stuff. So I really am excited to hopefully have him on again and hear some more of these incredible stories and get to dive a little bit deeper into who he is and what he's done and why the heck he loves it so much. So please make sure to follow him on all of his socials. He gave us his Twitter handle, it is in the show notes. So make sure to check him out there. Please also make sure to give us a five star review on whatever application you're using because that would be super helpful in helping us spread some of these incredible stories just a little bit further and so thank you so much for your time i really do appreciate it it's the only thing we don't get more of so thank you for giving me some of yours and i hope you make it a wonderful day yes.